This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. First to dish Davor, Lauf Davon, Erling Haaland kommt trotzdem. Dread it, run from it. Erling Haaland arrives all the same. It's Thursday the 20th of April. I'm your host, Ollie Kirsch. I'm Alex Brotherton. I'm Ollie McCool. And this is the City Report Podcast. Unbelievable! Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Hello listener and welcome back to the City Report podcast. This episode is sponsored by Beer Monster, the best place to find a variety of ales at refreshingly low prices. Purchase before the end of April and you'll get £5 off every order and there's also free shipping for any order over £35. UK residents only, 18 and over, drink responsibly. Welcome back everyone to the City Report podcast. We are recording this and you are listening to this off the back of a one all draw at the Allianz Arena, which means, once again, for the fifth time, Manchester City Football Club has progressed to the Champions League semi-final. I'm joined by Ollie and Alex. We're going to have a brief rundown of the game and then start looking ahead to the tie against Madrid very briefly, have a look at the Milan derby and just cover off really some of the player performances that we've seen over the course of this tie. Specifically, our earlier in the season, much maligned goalkeeper, Edison. So, going to kick this off. Uh, I'll start with my namesake, Ollie, Ollie McCall. So, just general thoughts on the game. What did you take away from it? The game itself in isolation and across the tie. 
Uh, we'll start with the individual game itself. Uh, it was one of the worst 70 minutes of football I can remember. You know, just every just pain, feeling sick. I, I genuinely felt, felt unwell um, after that penalty missed by Haaland in the first half. Uh, but, you know, that, that that just sums up being a Manchester City fan, isn't it? 3-0 up in the tie and, you know, the 70th minute you're still kind of worried about what seemed very unlikely at that point. Um, and the last 20 minutes were just kind of what we've come to expect from Manchester City in these, you know, ties. They've got the game won and they're just seeing it out. They're not, they're not too bothered about being completely ruthless and efficient. They're bothered about seeing it through, um, which has, you know, been a hallmark of... Manchester City in more recent Champions League ties. Um, sometimes it's escaped them and the game, you know, it's it threatened to get away from them constantly, um, especially the first 15 minutes or so. Bayern looked the far superior team and City weathered the storm. But over the tie, you know, it's, it kind of it kind of sums City up that, you know, they weathered Bayern's storm at, at the right points and they knew when to accelerate and, you know, hit them on the break and, you know, and they won the key decisions from the referee, you know, penalty, a penalty in the first um, half. You know, it's one of those decisions, even though it was missed, you know, it's one of those decisions that can really change a game. And, you know, the ref- and the referee, it, we've, we've been quite lucky with referees in this, tie, in this tie generally, I think. So, um, yeah, really, really good for Manchester City tonight. And uh, I think we can all look forward to what's going to be an exciting couple of games against Real Madrid. Alex, there's something I want to pass over to you, mate. So, something that we've seen in this tie that's that's quite unusual and uncharacteristic of City is that we've not had the lion's share of possession in either game. I'm just trying to grab the stats now from tonight. So, we had 42% possession tonight. Home leg, we had less possession. I think it was the lowest possession total we've had at the Etihad under Pep. And that includes a pretty dreadful 2016-17 season by Pep standards. So, we did a lot of defending. Edison had a lot of work to do. We'll get on to him specifically in a moment. And we scored on the break. Very un-City. In a way, almost what Chelsea did to us. Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea did to us in the final a couple of years ago. What do you make of it? Is that something that shows that this new iteration of Pep City is capable of playing any kind of football? Whereas before, it was maybe a feeling of, if we can't control a game, we can't win the tie. Has that changed now? Are we a team that's capable of doing the beautiful football going forward, but also the dogged defending when we need to at the back? Yeah, I think, uh, simple answer, yeah, I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head there. Um, it does feel like they have just got that extra, um, I wouldn't say gear, but the extra side to their game now. Uh, where last season and the season before, in the sort of post um sort of more dynamic side that won the domestic uh, quadruple in 2018-19. After that side, it all became about, you know, having that control, um, trying to dominate games, just sort of defending by having the ball, not giving other teams a chance. And then whenever, but you know, which worked perfectly at home, you know, City won back-to-back league titles doing that um, without a sort of recognised striker. But then in the Champions League, yes, they got to the final. Then obviously they got within minutes of the final last season. But they just sort of came unstuck in games um, and in the earlier Pep years where they didn't have control and so they didn't have any problem scoring goals, but they just couldn't, you know, they couldn't cope with the other team. Like that Madrid semi-final last year, like City went into that with the mindset of trying to control it, couldn't control either leg 
but just didn't have the sort of solidity or I guess the grit to kind of just stop Madrid. And that's not taking anything away from Madrid because they scored some unbelievable goals in, in, in that tie. But this season, you do get the feeling that over these two legs against Bayern, you know, City have had more so tonight than last week. But even last week, they had large periods where they were under the cosh. Um, you know, Diaz and Ake and Akanji and Stones all making really good interventions, really good blocks. Um, Ruben Diaz making another unbelievable block tonight. It looked like he was playing Twister, which isn't the first time he's done that for City. Um, and then Edison making some good saves as well. Um, so it does feel that now in these games where, you know, it's Bayern Munich, for God's sake, it's it's Real Madrid. You can't expect, yes, City are an unbelievable team, but you can't expect to just go to their stadium and just fully control it. Like these are these aren't just robots. I know we joke about Haaland being a some sort of cyborg, which he obviously showed he wasn't tonight. But um, you know, these teams are used to dominating the ball. They're gonna do it. Um and now it looks like City are capable of, you know, not you know, not not being the control freaks that we kind of thought they were and playing a bit more, you know, riding with it, taking the blows, but then making the most of the chances they do have to attack and they look much better in transitions and counterattacks now than they did in previous seasons if they tried to do that. So, you know, it's the kind of, it's the perfect combination. They, they seem to have the solidity to see out the tough periods without conceding, um, but then they can make the most of the times they do transition forward. Um, and it's it makes for quite a scary con- concoction, I guess, for other teams. Um, and they look really good. So I'm actually going to play devil's advocate here, and I'm going to revert this to Ollie. Despite everything I just said about this, perhaps showing a positive aspect that we're capable of doing every aspect, the dogged defending, counter-attacking football, not controlling a game and still winning. Could it perhaps be... Is there a viable perspective here actually to say we should have done better than we did over the two ties? The fact that we didn't control the game at home. Could that be read as something to be concerned about, especially going into the Madrid tie? Or is this for you just a case of we did what we had to do? I can see your point. I can see the point there, but I I think it's just this. This is what it's like playing the biggest teams. You know, you go back to the PSG semi-finals um, in the COVID season. Um, they were, you know, that fir- that first game in the Parc de Princes. You know, City looked all over the place for a good amount of the game, and then they t- and then they turned it on and won. Um, and then they controlled the game in the, in the second half because PSG lost their heads. You know, was, with City, it's always kind of getting to that point where either they lose their heads or they, or they make the opposition lose their heads. And that's what happened. And that's what happened. You know, Bayern may have pulled one back through a ridiculous penalty decision, but that doesn't, you know, give credit to what they were like for the last twenty minutes of that game after Haaland's goal. They were gone. They they were almost mentally checked out of it. Um, and that's and that and that and that can go against City at times. You know, we look at the last few minutes of the Real Madrid second leg uh, last season. But, you know, City have become this more adaptable side in the Champions League. I think we see more versatility in how they play and how they set up in the Champions League than any other competition now. Because Pep's, I don't want to, he's not betraying his principles by any means. And I, and I, don't, and I, and I, and I don't think he sets his sides up to go out there and, you know, secure 40% of the ball only. But he goes out there knowing he's got to, you know, his sides have got to, leave a little more out there in their own box at times. And, you know, they've got to go in for the blocks. And that comes with some of the recruitment we've made. You know, Ruben Diaz, he's a pure defender. He loves nothing more than, you know, walking off the pitch with muddy shorts. You know, Nathan Ake is kind of the same vein. And, you know, all English centre-backs like John Stones, you know, 
that's what they're raised as as centre backs. You know, it's all about being a defender first. So we've got, you know, we've got a bunch of, you know, really tough, hard to break down defenders who value nothing more than a clean sheet. Um, and I just, and I just think that's part of it. You know, you can be the most beautiful team in the world to watch, but if you can't defend them, what's the point? Um, and that's been City's problem in the Champions League for so many years. But, you know, the last couple of years have woken up to it. So I've got no problem with it. I don't think Pepper's a problem with it when the results go the way he wants. Um, because I think he kind of accepts that this is how he goes in this competition at times. You know, he's not, you know, we've seen him play Gundogan on the right at Anfield and get absolutely slaughtered for it. We've seen him, you know, do absolutely wild things in all in all aspects, you know, for, for Fernandinho, Fernandinho at right back last yeah, season comes exactly. to mind against Vinicius Junior. Exactly, um, you know, you know, and that's just what Pep Guardiola is like. You know, his first ever game at City, he had cliche and collar as inverted fullbacks, and that was in 2016. You know, so I think it just kind of shows how far he's come in his kind of understanding of how he wants his team to operate, and that only comes with familiarity. You know, he wouldn't have been he wouldn't have had a side playing like this six seven years ago he's got his side playing like this because he knows what it takes to win the champions league and this is what it what it takes you know you look at real madrid they're not a side that are incredibly technical when you know trying to see out a lead they just get the job done and that's what city have to do you know they got the job done tonight they got the and they're going to have to get the job done in real madrid if they want to go to their second ever champions league final it's that simple yeah and it might be that we are actually developing a bit of a heritage in this competition now. We are the, I've just seen City Extra tweeting, with the third English football team to uh, qualify for three consecutive Champions League semi-finals. This will now be our fifth Champions League semi-final in all. Alex, are we developing a bit of a taste for the competition now? It certainly seems that way, doesn't it? Um, you know, it doesn't... Yeah, it just feel. I, I remember when you know we couldn't get past the quarterfinals. We had the whole Monaco, Monaco, Monaco debacle in 2016-17, Not being able to get out of the group stage for the first few years, City were in it. Um, and yeah, and now to be, you know, obviously that this isn't some sort of fairy tale. You know, a lot of investments gone into this. Obviously, Pep Guardiola has played a massive role. But, you know, took him a few years to kind of figure it out at uh, City and, and get him to this point. But, you know, I guess this is how this is how teams sort of establish themselves in the Champions League, isn't it? It's by being, you know, it's kind of a pepism, isn't it? But, you know, um, we are there, like, you know, getting to that point. Um, they've not maybe, you know, they might not win it this year. But, you know, that's three straight years where they're getting to the final or the semi-final. Um, and, you know, if you do that year on year as Bernardo Silva kind of mentioned it in his post-match interview with BT. Um, City have learned from their mistakes in recent competitions. And, you know, every time they make a mistake and they get knocked out, you know, they're clearly taking things from that, making them better the next year or making them, uh, you know, developing them, giving the extra sort of the know-how to, to how to navigate these ties. Um, because, you know, obviously, ultimately, these are very expensive, you know, world-class footballers. But in something like the Champions League, you know, it's so much different to the to the kind of the ins and outs of uh, domestic thirty eight game a season football. That it's not just something that they arrive and necessarily as a team they're all really good at. I think it's kind of understated, and people like to look at City's past failures in the Champions League and go, "Oh, how funny it is!" Because you know they do walk the Premier League, but they can't do that. But it's just so different. Um, so yeah, I think in a roundabout way, yeah, I think you're right that um, 
this is definitely building City's kind of reputation in the competition, regardless of if they win it this year or not. You know, it's only going to help them going forwards. Yeah, I mean, just one thing, almost on cue, Guardiola signed off his press conference um, in, according to Sam Lee in, in poetic fashion with this quote, the question here is trying. It's not winning, it's trying. And the more you try, maybe in the end you are lucky. I mean, that just kind of sums up perfectly what we're trying to say here. You know, City's heritage in this competition it only grows every year. And, the, you know, the more you, the more you make the semifinals, the more you make the final, eventually one's going to, you know, the way of the world, one will go your way. Maybe it's this year. I hope, I think, well, we yeah. all hope so. But that's that's the way it is with knockout competitions. That's the way it is with the Champions League. You know, we've seen it happen to other teams. Maybe it's City's turn. Yeah, this is something that's almost a running theme with Pep through all the competitions. And I hope something that will uh, be one of the legacies that he does leave when he eventually does leave in that, one of the things he always says is we just have to be there at the end of the season, whether it's Premier League, whether it's the Carabao Cup going in some January, February, whether it's the FA Cup or whether it's the Champions League, we just have to be there. I think one of the popular takes over in North London was that it was a good thing when they went out of the Europa League. But now they're facing a position where it is all or nothing for them. They, if, they lose the champion, if they lose the Premier League to us, they're trophyless and they've got no other options. It's not like they've got the FA Cup or the Europa, Europa League to lean back on. So for me... Yeah, you're absolutely right. What what Pep says about you know, just just be there, just push as hard as you can. We might end up trophyless. We're still in three competitions, though. Yeah, um, it, it does seem that we are building a bit of a heritage as a club. But what about as a fan base, Ollie? I'll come back to you, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pull host privileges here and give a, a bit of a longer answer. But I'm gonna say I still think it would be hollow to win the Champions League without winning the Premier League. I am one of those. But that would always put the Premier League above the Champions League. And I believe if we are going to win the Champions League, it's no good being champions of Europe if you cannot win your domestic league over a 38-game period. And you know that'll be a stick that we'll be beaten with. If we lose the Premier League to Arsenal and win the Champions League, all of a sudden it'll be the more important competition, right? So for me personally, I still believe that we have to prioritise winning the Premier League. And as Pep says, Champions League, just be there and see what happens. Ollie, what about you? And then Alex, straight on to you, mate. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm the same. You know, I mean, as City fans, we kind of have to say that anyway. You know, we we don't have a a, a love a loving relationship with UEFA or the Champions League generally. You know, it's but I think it's becoming more of a bit of a love hate at this point. You know, I think there is more kind of not sympathy, but there is a bit more kind of tenderness towards the Champions League from City fans nowadays because we're getting better at it. Um, but for me, yeah, it, it does. It's a little bit hollow when you see a team win the cha- win the Champions League and they haven't won the Premier League. I mean, look at Liverpool in eighteen nineteen. Um, you know, we we best we bested them in the Premier League. We bested them in every other competition apart from the Champions League, and they got there because they beat Spurs. Wow. I mean, I know Spurs knocked us out, but they got through through on the skin of their teeth. They got through Ajax on the skin of their teeth, and they got found out. You know, the the the. Team who wins the Champions League isn't necessarily the best team in Europe. We've been the best team in Europe for, you know, quite a few seasons now. So it's that simple. You know, you've got you've got to you've got to win your domestic league. Real Madrid last season they won their domestic league, um, and then and and then they topped it off with the Champions League. You know, that's what makes them such an unbelievable club. They can they they can make it look so easy, and that's what City have been trying to do for years. Um, and you just think, you know, City winning a Premier League, Champions League double, it just kind of cements the status that everyone's been going on about for years and the point that we've been trying to prove for years. 
Um, a lot of people have called us the best team in the world time and time again. It's time we go up, go up, go up to Istanbul and prove it, really. So, Alex, just before I do a handover to you, Ollie, you made a really interesting point there. And as it stands, we are actually the only remaining team in the Champions League that still has a shot at winning our domestic league, realistically. Real Madrid sit 11 points behind Barcelona in La Liga. And in Serie A, Milan, AC Milan, sit 22 points behind Napoli. And Inter Milan sit a further two points behind AC Milan. So we are actually the only team left that could do a European domestic double. Alex, what about you? How do you feel? Um, I think I agree to a certain extent. I think, like, I guess I've always, you know, prioritised the Premier League, I think. Um, but I don't really think that... I agree that, say, um, a Champions League victory, if you finish 20 points behind the league leader, behind the league winner, you know, like when, I don't know, say when Chelsea won the Champions League in 2012 and they finished, I can't remember how many points behind City they finished, but it was quite a lot. Um, I think that's a bit, obviously it's two different things. It's a cup competition, as we've said, is very different to a league competition, but it does feel a little bit, not hollow, but a bit, well, you can't be that good because, yeah, you you just haven't done it in a a longer season. Um, But I think, you know, theoretically, say, or say when Liverpool won the Champions League in 2019, and obviously push City all the way in the title race. I don't think that would have felt any less uh, of an achievement for them because, you know, they got so close. And I think I wouldn't feel... I think I'd feel the same if, if City ended up being pipped by Arsenal by a point or two points or something and managed to win the Champions League. I think I'd be pretty happy with that. Maybe just as well because it's something City have never done before and, you know, they have won the Premier League so many times. But then I guess on the flip side for this specific season, you know, if they were to win the Premier League again, but again, fall short in Europe, um, it would be three titles on the bounce. And they've never done that before, have they? Um, so I can see both sides, but for me, it's not such a... I don't feel quite strongly about it, I don't think. All right, so before we go for the break, I'm going to make you decide we can only win one and one only. One word answer for me. You want to say Premier League, Ollie? I'm just going to betray everything I've just said. I want to say the Champions League. <laughs> <laughs> Alex uh, yeah I'm going to go with uh, Ollie McCool I'm going to say Champions League there we go that will do for part one stay tuned for part two we're Man City and we might be on the piss again but if you're wondering where to pick up the best beer this side of the Atlantic let me introduce you to Beer Monster the online home of household brands niche independent brews and the famous Beer Monster draft tap allowing you, the listener, to pour the perfect pint from the comfort of your own home. Head over to beermonster.com for free shipping on all orders over £35, and if you're quick enough, you can grab an extra fiver off any purchase between now and the end of April. UK residents only, 18 and over, drink responsibly. Full-time here at the Allianz Arena, it's Amos Murphy, who is... uh, a very exhausted but very excited Manchester City fan tonight. City just about somehow with a free goal advantage in the end get past the mighty Bayern Munich to book their place in what is a third consecutive Champions League semi-final. Even though it isn't a new frontier for the club, it feels like 
getting past the European giant like Bayern Munich is a massive step for this team, especially when it has to be said they weren't playing at the best. Uh, another fantastic defensive display. Ruben Diaz lives for making those last-ditch sliding tackles. And a word on the man. Jack Grealish ran the Bayern defence ragged all evening. And Erling Haaland, he likes to score goals. On his return to Germany, absolutely bossing it. Manchester City into the semi-finals. The treble, whisper it, is still on. One step closer. Now on to Wembley this weekend against Sheffield United. Welcome back to the City Report podcast, your place for daily Manchester City content. Firstly, thank you very much, Amos, for the voice note. Much appreciated. He's over in Munich at the moment. He's been to the game at the Allianz Arena alongside fellow podcast contributor Louis Rittle. Hope you guys enjoyed it. They'll be on the beers. I'm sat here with a hot chocolate recording with you two. So now what we're going to do for part two is just rattle through a uh, very quickly, we've got about 10 minutes, some player performances. The first that I'm actually going to talk about are the ones that were in the red shirts last night. So, Penny for Chancello's thoughts, right? We've seen this before now with Leroy Sane. We're seeing it this season with Sterling. Zinchenko and Jesus, to be fair, are kind of bucking the trend here at the moment, but it may not turn out that way. Are these players that are leaving City for greener pastures, supposed greener pastures, now becoming a bit of a cautionary tale against leaving City? And and perhaps something for Americ Laporte to consider, maybe Gundogan as well, Alex? Um, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, obviously, as you said, we'll see with, with Zinchenko and Jesus. It's not, it's not gone too badly for them so far. Um, but... Yeah, I know. I know what you mean. Um, it's obviously. Did you mention? I don't think you mentioned Sterling there, did you? Or yeah, I did mention. Oh, you did. Sterling Sorry, as well. yeah, Sterling, <laughs> um, Sterling, Sterling, Sane, Chancelo for the yeah. cautionary tale. Jesus and Zinchenko so it's, far um, for the uh, might turn out better, may not. Yeah, it's um, well, obviously, it's it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because obviously, City. Are, chances are if you leave City you're going to go somewhere and not be quite as successful um, especially if it's another Premier League club um, in Europe now City seem to be reaching their kind of um, sort of almost cracking the Champions League potentially um, so it's kind of like the, the the worst time I guess in recent years to to go somewhere else to try and win the Champions League but I don't know is that I'm not sure that's ever really a consideration really for these players because you know They've been at City for a few years. Okay, I guess out of that lot, Sané was probably well. Sané and Cancelo, not as long as the others, didn't win as much as the others. But you know, I think the primary focus is just playing time, isn't it? Um, and I know it's you know, Bayern Munich are clearly not as good a football team as as Manchester City, um, but they're still an elite football team. They still had a chance if to winning the Premier, winning the Champions League if they'd not drawn City. Maybe they would have gone to the semi-finals. Who knows? On a never that first leg, obviously City won three 0 but for that first half, if things go a bit differently, it might not have turned out that way. And the margins can be so fine, I think, at this level. Um, so while I think it is more of a explosive point to say, yeah, don't leave City because the grass isn't always greener. I think I don't know. You know, if if Cancelo lifts the Bundesliga title at the end of the season and. Obviously, there's been lots of rumours that you know Bayern aren't going to um, activate the buy clause, but you know theoretically, if they did, I think he'd be pretty happy with it because um, obviously he felt he wasn't going to play at City. 
Um, maybe a bit of a slight difference with Sané because he was clearly playing a lot for City, um, but he wanted to go anyway. But um, I think sometimes the grass just is greener from a personal perspective. Like Zinchenko and Jesus, it certainly was. They weren't playing as much as they wanted to. Now they're both sort of guaranteed starters when they're both fit. Um, so, yeah. Sorry, that's that's probably not the the controversial answer that you. No, wanted. no, 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 not at all. It's fair enough, and it is a consideration. You know, for, it depends on the personal priorities. For Bernardo, it's not if the grass is greener; it's if the sky is brighter and the sun's stronger. Um, so that's true. That's true. He, he he may go for those reasons. So we'll see. Just uh, you know, I do hope that some a player like Bernardo, if he is to leave, and Gundogan as well, of course that we can deliver them a Champions League title as a collective before they go. So coming back over to the City players, Ollie. Um, Edison has had probably his two best games of the season after... I mean, his form looks to be improving anyway, at least in terms of his shot stopping. Is it a case that Edison needs more action to bring out the best goalkeeper in him? Forget sweeper-keeper, forget playmaker. To bring out the best shot stopper in Edison, is it just a case that he spends so many games just kind of sat between the posts picking his nails that he's perhaps not performing as well as he should. But then when it comes to a tie like this, where there's plenty of goal mouth action for him, he seems to pull out some brilliant, brilliant stops. Is that what's going on with Eddie? I think so, yeah. I mean, I've never doubted him for a second, really. I think he's a fantastic keeper. And I think his problems that he's had with his, you know, when you look at his goalkeeping stats, are just more specific to Manchester City. Manchester City face less shots, therefore, you know, they're going to con- they're going to concede more of the shots they face because that's just the nature of football. But, um, you know, he's he, he just looks like he's stepped up a level with the whole team. You know, maybe it's a thing of having more confidence in the team in front of him. You know, this, you know, 14-15 game unbeaten run now that City are on, you know, they look imperious. Um, and, you know, that is as much on John Stones, Ruben Diaz, Malakanji, Nathan Ake as it is on Edison. He stepped up and he was absolutely phenomenal in both legs against Bayern. He was unstoppable in both. Um, you know, the way he just constantly was protecting himself from those Leroy Sane sights in the first leg. And then, you know, the second leg, he was just dominant. He just looked like he didn't want to let anything past him. Um, that was, you know, in open play. So fair play to him, you know, because a lot of people have been doubting him, but he's just kind of said, I don't care about that. I'm going to keep doing, I'm going to, play how I play I'm going to keep doing what I do and it's paying off for him and I think the defence behind the defence in front of him can be happy with that as well because they know if they make a mistake they've got a goalkeeper they can absolutely trust and we still see his moments of insanity where he'll do a Cruyff turn you know in front of his, in front of the posts uh, when a buying player was closing him down he'll just turn the ball away from them that's that's the joy of Edison you know you can say oh he's not the best shot stopper in the world but at the end of the day, he's still one of the absolute elite goalkeepers. And Edison at his best is Manchester City's perfect number one. And talking about Cruyff turns, Alex, we saw a bit of showboating from a few of the lads tonight. I think Bernardo twice down the right-hand side decided to take on two or three Bayern players himself. Uh, there was a couple of nutmegs over between Grealish and, oh, I can't remember, was it perhaps De Bruyne? Um, fairly late on down the left. We... Seems to have opened up a little bit where creative freedom's concerned with certain players this season. Of course, Grealish has really come into his own. Um, Bernardo's taking players on again since the World Cup and he, he seems full of confidence when he's on the ball. Is it going to be critical going into the last, well, firstly the tie against Madrid and hopefully a final against one of the two Milan teams that we 
because of the nature of the jeopardy and chaos of a cup competition, that we do give the lads a bit more freedom and we do allow them to express themselves and their brilliance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's important in sort of various different phases of the game, really. Like, you know, if we see more games like this where City have to do a lot of defending, but then have to pick the right moment to, to kind of transition and counter-attack, um, I think individuality comes a lot into that. You know, when Kevin De Bruyne is kind of pulling off his lung-busting runs forward or Jack Grealish is trying to work something out wide, Haaland's deciding when to make the run in behind the defence. Um, it's a lot... There does seem to be more individuality, I guess, than the very sort of controlled and um, methodical approach of sort of recent seasons. But then I think later in games as well, especially in game when it comes to game management, you know, it's just... We're all sort of delighted with how how much uh, how much more productive Grealish has been this season, but he still can do what he was doing last season, in especially against Atletico Madrid. We saw it last season, you know, just winding the clock down. You know, there was a period at the end of there was a it was a moment towards the end of last night's game um, where I think he got he ended up getting cropped by Stanisic, is it? Um, uh, just spot on the edge of the box. And you could just tell that he was just, you know, the contact was going to come, but he skipped past one challenge, turned around, went to the byline, turned again, and then eventually got taken down. Um, but that kind of just individual brilliance, it's, you know, it's great for this competition if you need to sort of see out a few extra seconds. It's great if you're trying to work your way out of a tight situation. And it's great, you know, if you're just trying to create a chance and there's no obvious kind of avenue to go down. Um, so, yeah, I think it's... I wouldn't say City's players. I think it's a bit of a, a sort of an, a, a mistruth that um, that like players are shackled under Guardiola, and that's an accusation that City have had in the past. I think there has always been room for creativity within the system, but now it does seem that certain individuals are are going sort of above and beyond that, um, and it's just thoroughly enjoyable to watch, really, isn't it? Especially if it it doesn't you know come as any detriment to the team; it only adds to the team. So um, long may it continue. And talking about game management, we we seem to be implementing our own special brand of shithouser in the Champions League latter stages. I'm thinking about last season, uh, the season before last against PSG, last season against PSG and Atletico Madrid, and this tie against Bayern. It, it seems to be that when City are ahead going into the last 30 minutes of a Champions League tie, that the European opposition just can't seem to keep their heads. We had Thomas Tuchel getting sent off. We had a couple of very concerning moments where, you know, as you said, I think De Bruyne um, got smashed once or twice. Grealish got taken out on the edge of the box. Uh, there could have easily been one or two Bayern Munich red cards tonight. Oli, are we are we formulating some kind? I mean, I, I actually before I finish on this point, Edison going down with cramp in his own <laughs> six yard box in the ninety fourth minute was comedy. Gold. I mean, I was concerned that he'd get done for time wasting because he'd already been booked for it. But is this something that we can start using regularly if we aren't already? That we can just win games by default by having the opponents completely and utterly losing their heads. I, I mean, I think City have always been pretty good at you know seeing running down the clock. To be honest, I mean, I remember you know the, was it at Old Trafford in the Centurion yes. season. Just yes. an absolutely fantastic three or four minutes of just sitting in the corner. 
Um, and then they did it again at the Etihad um, a year later. And there was just that, yeah, I'm sorry to go off on a little bit of a tangent here, but there was that brilliant moment, Raheem Sterling just doing step overs over the ball and Juan Mata just getting pissed off and everyone calling it disrespectful. I mean, that's what City are at the end, when it gets to the end of these games. They get disrespectful. They don't care. They're not bothered about what the opponent thinks or what pundits are going to say about them. They want to win a game. Um, I mean, we had, you know, we all remember the Atletico Madrid scenes at the end of that tie. And I think tonight could have ended up like that. You know, second half, I was thinking, oh, this could, this could get a bit spicy here. And two, and Thomas Tuchel just would not calm down. So it was good to see him, you know, get his marching orders. Um, yeah, I, I, it does seem to be a specifically Champions League thing, though. Teams losing their heads mm. against Manchester City. Maybe it's because they recognise they've been completely outplayed half the time. Um, and they well, just for, can't for, take Sorry, it. Just, just, just to kick in there, for, for Madrid... PSG and Bayern, not so not counting Atletico. For Madrid, PSG and Bayern, there seems to be a trend in that it's teams that are used to turning over every opposition that they come up against every week. And now they're coming up against a team that's better than them, that's keeping the ball better than them. Um, it's like an ego. Is, is that a factor here? Yeah, is that a factor here? And, and, and listen, I know Madrid in the end did get their heads together and they, um, Real Madrid last season, they, they, they caused havoc and ultimately heartbreak for City. But still, that game got fiery. Is it? Is it that these European teams have a bit of a complex about them? I, th- I think so, especially in the case of PSG and Bayern. I mean, Real Madrid have always had that complex about them. You know, that's just the nature of that football club. Um, and I don't think City can really compare to that in a way because you know we are minnows compared to them everyone's a minnow compared to Real Madrid but you know in, t- in terms of PSG and Bayern you know Bayern are, Bayern are used to steamrollering everyone in sight and they get and they get furious when they don't I mean look at their last few Champions League knockouts you know they got knocked out to Villarreal um, you know they're a team they're a team that just can't seem to get it together in the Champions League since they've won it in the in the uh weird kind of post-lockdown COVID one-leg mini-competition. Um, and, you know, as for PSG, you know, th- that was just hilarious, those scenes. Um, and City, City just know, they just know because they've got so many wizards on the ball. You know, Bernardo Silva, he's like the ultimate shithouse. He is the ultimate shithouse because he speaks five languages so he can speak to anyone on the pitch anyway. And he just knows how to really get in defenders' heads because he can just get past them with ease. I mean, you could see him trying to do it to Cancelo. Tonight he got Cancelo booked really early on, um, which is always a plus. And that's just what Bernardo is good at. You know, we can say how good Jack Grealish is at drawing fouls and, you know, winning free kicks, winning penalties. But Bernardo is the absolute master of getting getting in a fullback's head. That's why you should play in the wing more often for me. Grealish speaks half a language and he still manages to do it just fine. So, um, Alex, looking ahead to Real Madrid then, uh, last point before we wrap up. Um, Last season, we were away at the Bernabeu at the second leg and that perhaps contributed to our downfall. The tie against Bayern last night, again, away in the second leg. It's tough because you've really got to gamble at home and you've got to get an almost unassailable lead going into that away tie. Are the tables now turned? How important is it for us that we can have some confidence that no matter the result in Madrid, we can do a job at home. We can turn it, we, either we can turn it around or we can make it incredibly tough for Real. How much does it help our chances getting to the final this season, knowing that that second tie is at the start de Etihad? I think it 
I think it does help the chances. I don't know, obviously, how it affects the players, but I mean, from a fan perspective, it, I'm much more confident than if it was the other way around. You know, this tie against Bayern was a bit different because of the three 0 win in the first leg. But say if it had been one nil or even a draw, um, you know, you're never really confident going away to Bayern Munich and then you know times that by ten for Real Madrid just because because it's Real Madrid and it's the Champions League and that's what they do. Um, especially with their history of comebacks as well. Like the comebacks generally happen in their stadium. Um, so, you know, I think it will, it does help definitely from a psychological point of view. Um, and, you know, I think I think it does affect the players as well. Because I know that Guardiola said recently um, about things, special things happening at home in, in our stadium with our people um, in the Champions League this season compared to the away matches, you know, in the group stage. The big results came at home, didn't they? Going away, there was the draw in Dortmund, the draw in Copenhagen, um, draw tonight in Munich, um, draw in Leipzig, wasn't it, actually, um, as well. Um, so, you know, special things are happening at the Etihad. City just seem to have much more, you know, they just rip teams apart, don't they? It's, uh, I don't think there's too much, anal- too much more analysis you can put on it than that. And... Yeah, you know, they put in a, a really gritty performance tonight. I've got no doubt that they'll put in a similarly um, sort of tough, gritty performance at the Bernabeu uh, next month. But I think it does help that the second leg is going to be at home. And if they need to turn uh, the result around, then I think they're a better place to do that at home than they are away from home. Ollie, despite the fan base's indifference to the Champions League, it does seem that in the big knockouts highs that something trips in the fan base. Something changes. For the big Champions League ties and, of course, in the Premier League, the, the, the bigger title-chasing ties, we've had them against Liverpool, we've had them against Man United and we've got one coming up against Arsenal. How How is it that, or at least, how can we turn that energy in the fan base into something that the Etihad becomes renowned for? Do we need to see the team follow it through to a Champions League victory and then we look back on the campaign and we say that famous night at the Etihad. Is it because that we've not won it yet that perhaps outside of the statistics, the Etihad isn't considered a Champions League fortress yet? Because the stats are all there. Is it 25 home games unbeaten now in the Champions League, I think? Do we have to win it to then garner that rate, even though a win would be on a neutral ground, but to then get that reputation of, of the Etihad as a fearsome place to go in the Champions League knockouts? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, that Champions League uh, unbeaten at home stack has come up every game this season, from what I remember in the pre-match punditry. Um, it's one that has followed. It's one that has followed City around for a couple of years because it just keeps getting longer and longer and longer. But I think to kind of cement it and cement our legacy in this competition, you've got to win it. It's that simple. Um, and you know, City, City are more than capable of winning it. They will have jumped for joy when they saw that second leg of the semi-final was at home um, because it just adds another dimension. The only time we've made the final is when the second leg of the semi-final was at home. That was in, obviously in the COVID year, but um, it's it's different when it's in front of your own fans. You know, this is, I don't, I don't want to over-egg it too much, but this is probably the biggest Champions League game the Etihad's ever seen. You know, Real Madrid, the absolute kings of this competition at the Etihad, Second leg of a semi-final, it could be anything, you know, yeah. and 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 it's it's what it's one of those the confidence boost they'll get off, you know, winning that game, even if they only need a draw, 
the confidence boost of winning that game before going to Istanbul and, you know, the closing stages of this season, if we're still in multiple competitions, will just be unreal. And it will cement Manchester City as one of those true European superpowers for me. We, I mean, some may say we already are, but you can't call us a European superpower if you haven't won, if you haven't won the trophy yet. Um, but this will, this will be the thing that does it, I think. Yeah, and for me, having that home leg seconds high, if we went to Madrid and lost 3-0, as Bayern did, I would still believe that we can go through. I think anything is possible, Etihad second leg. And for me, that it, it has given me the confidence that we will be in Istanbul. And I hope we only revisit this this quote for positive reasons. But yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm supremely confident myself, which is um, true to form for this season. So... Guys, we're going to wrap up here. Thank you very much, Alex. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. And thank you, Ollie. No problem. Thanks for letting me on again. This has been the City Report podcast, and we will catch you tomorrow. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end-of-season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply, see mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.